morning, church. It is good to be with you. If you would, in your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6, where we've spent the last few weeks, and we'll read some more uh, from Matthew 6 together this morning. Uh, as we get started, I would love for you to pay attention to this uh, new member announcement. Melissa McConnell uh, has placed membership with us recently. Melissa, are you here this morning? Right here, let's welcome Melissa to the Bentonville Church of Christ. We're so glad to have you. If you would like to get to know Melissa a little better, uh, you could start by reading in the bulletin the small uh, bio about her, but also go and meet her personally later. I'm sure she would appreciate that. Uh, God has blessed us with um, others joining us in the mission for the kingdom of God and the mission of Jesus Christ here in our town, and we are always thankful for that. Uh, I'm also thankful that last week you got to hear from Todd Miller instead of from me. Todd blessed us with a wonderful message about uh, how God's kingdom of heaven wants to come into the earth now and get into our hearts and our world. And he used some very personal stories about how he has seen heaven breaking into the lives of his own sons. It was heartwarming and touching and moving. And if you missed it for any reason... I want you to know it's on our website. You can go listen to it. Uh, and it really is the linchpin message of this series. Because Jesus' prayer that he taught his disciples to pray, the famous Lord's Prayer, uh, is held together by this idea that there is yet more to come. That God is still answering prayer. He's still bringing the reality of his will into the world. He's still caring for his people. And so there is this deep anticipation when we pray the Lord's Prayer. And Todd encouraged us to look and, and anticipate, to look for the coming of the kingdom of God in our own hearts, in our own decisions, in practical ways, by the way that he talked about Easton, being a witness to his team and to the community, uh, even in his setback, and the way that Isaac has blessed friends and loved ones with his uh, written note about the friend that they recently lost. Real ways that the kingdom of God comes into the world. And today, as we move into the next verse of Jesus' prayer, uh, as we move into something that has to do with daily needs, with food, we're going to see that the prayer that had spiritual components, uh, holy be the name of God, um, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These very spiritual components are going to be worked out in practical ways, in daily ways. And anticipation is a good word and a good attitude for this season. Because we long for the kingdom to come. We look for the kingdom to come. And in the larger church world around us in December, you may hear people use the word advent. Now, Advent might not be something you're used to doing, uh, but it's something that your friends and your coworkers have probably heard of. Now, to many people, Advent is simply this. You get a little calendar from Starbucks, and every day of the month, there's a chocolate inside. And that's not a bad start. But Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means the coming. And it taps into hopes, both new and ancient. From ancient Israel, that someday there would be a Messiah who was coming to deliver the people. And for the church, that someday our Messiah is coming again. And that in the meantime, while we wait, 
the Holy Spirit has come and is continuing to come into the hearts of the people of God, the church of God. And so with that kind of anticipation, we turn again to the prayer. And I would ask you to read it out loud with me uh, once again. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you. This picture was a fairly well-known uh, picture in recent years. Maybe in your family, someone, a grandmother or an aunt might have displayed this on their wall. My grandmother proudly displayed this picture above her dining room table. In a way, it encapsulates the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. My grandmother loved this picture so much that she chased down prints of it in every thrift store across central Pennsylvania and gave one to every aunt to my own mother. And so we all had one in our home for a while. And I remember looking at this picture as a kid and thinking that that guy was pretty cool because of his great beard and his flannel shirt. But there's so much more in the picture than that. It displays a deep contentment. Uh, maybe also still mixed with the anticipation, a hope that God will provide. You can see he's got bread and soup for today, but maybe the question would be, does this older man have enough for tomorrow? And so whatever position you are in in life, your feelings about prayer and God's provision may come roaring to the surface when you look at a picture like this. Thankfulness and gratitude, God has given me enough for today. A hope and anticipation, will he give me enough for tomorrow? And of course... For a Christian, the ever-awareness uh, that not only does God provide bread to eat, but that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Uh, a scripture that Jesus teaches us, but that he also borrows from the Torah, from his own, old, what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, from Deuteronomy, from the great sermon that Moses gave to the children of Israel as they were about to go into the promised land where God had told them there would be an abundance of food. But Moses reminds them it is not food alone that gives you life. It is God's words that gives you life. And so today as we consider these words of Jesus, give us today our daily bread. Only, only six or seven words depending on how you uh, work the phrase out of the Greek. We're going to consider what does this prayer mean? What is the meaning of the bread? And also, what is the reason that Jesus gives it to us? And what is the hope that can come alive in our hearts when we begin to pray this prayer with God? What's the meaning of the prayer and the reason for the prayer and the hope of the prayer? Let's start with what it means. Very simply, Jesus gives us a prayer that when it is unpacked, has seemingly endless resources of meaning. There is a literary term. It's on the screen uh, behind me. This word is pronounced synecdoche. Synecdoche uh, is a literary device that's used to draw people in and gain their attention when they're uh, reading something. It works like this. You use part of something to describe the larger thing. And sometimes it happens in reverse. You can use the whole of something 
to describe part, but uh, here's an example for you of what a synecdoche might be. Uh, one uh, common phrase in our society is that he or she is the breadwinner uh, of the home. And what we mean by that is they make the primary income of the home. Well, this is a synecdoche. Of course, in our world, in the modern American workplace, you don't usually receive a loaf of bread for your work at the end of the week. You receive a piece of paper that is not edible. And maybe you only receive a digital transaction, which you can't even hold. But we all know what the, what the phrase means. This person's providing, and so in a way, they're providing the bread. And we don't just mean they provide bread, we mean they provide the food. And we don't even just mean they provide the food. We mean they provide the needs of the family and of the home. And so they're meeting needs by being a breadwinner. We do this in many ways. It's common in our language, so much so that you may not even realize that you use synecdoche every day. You might say about a friend's new ride, wow, love your wheels. Of course, it isn't only the wheels that you want. You're interested in the whole car, not just the wheels. Uh, one farmer may say to another, I bought a hundred head of cattle. And the city slicker would go, whoa, that's really weird. Who bought the rest of the cows? And we know that they mean I bought not just the head, but the whole body of a hundred cows. Bread doesn't even only uh, always stand in for food. If you say, let's go break bread together, you mean let's eat a meal. Not only let's have just bread, but let's eat a whole meal, a robust meal, probably with vegetables and meat and dessert as well. But sometimes we even use the word bread to mean the thing you use to buy the bread, which is money. And so this whole synecdoche cycle really goes around in a funny way, doesn't it? Bread can stand in for so many things in our language, and it's the same in the language of Jesus. Bread stands for all needed food, but it also means all of our needs. Jesus encourages us to pray specifically for the things that we need. And to ask God with boldness when we feel like we lack them. This leads us into the reason for the prayer. And there's two reasons that I think come to the surface for our church. The first one might be important to you if no one has ever given you permission to approach God with confidence. And the church wants to say to you, if prayer is new to you, if you're learning how to pray, maybe you've been fearful of God. Maybe you don't think he's trustworthy. Maybe you don't think that your needs are important enough or big enough for him. That it is okay to pray about your needs to our Father in heaven. Can I get an amen from the church? It is okay for you to approach your Father in heaven and say, this is what I need. This is what I feel my family needs. Why does God allow you to pray in this way? First of all, he already knows what you need. As we talked about a few weeks ago, and you can go hear that message if you want, Jesus has just said, only verses before, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And God loves you. He is not the father who abandons or doesn't care. He's the father who gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loves you, and he knows about your needs, and he would like to meet you where your needs are at. But the second reason, maybe more predominant for many in a wealthy, Western, American, Christian setting, is that it is necessary for us to pray for what we need. It is spiritually necessary for us to grow as God would have us to grow, for us to become the people that he would have us to be. It is necessary for us to pray for what we need. When we experience a need and we don't pray for it, there is only one other kind of communication that we use to express our need. And it's the kind of communication that infants learn to use. It is whining and crying and grumbling. If we don't say to God honestly and plainly what we want, then we start to talk bad about him. Or we start to talk bad about whoever we feel is preventing us from getting it. Look at this example from Exodus 16. The people of Israel, God's chosen nation, the people that he loved, he has just, six weeks before this story, delivered them from the worst uh, ancient world tyranny that had ever existed. Egypt had these people in slavery. Egypt did black magic. The people have come out of that by God's deliverance. And three days after the deliverance, they complain about water. A few weeks later, they say this. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They didn't pray for their needs, and so they grumbled. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Oh, we would rather that God had just killed us back in Egypt and let us die than bring us out here. Back in Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots, um, meat pots doesn't sound super tempting, does it? So picture the most delicious, piled high barbecue sandwich. If you want bacon on it, you can add bacon on it. If you want pork, it can be pork. If you like beef, it can be beef. If you're a vegetarian, God bless you. <laughs> but they are saying, we wanted that meat. It was so good. And we ate bread until we were full. You know? No gluten-free back then. I mean, we were eating it until we were full. And you've brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You see, when they don't pray for what they need, they grumble. And when we learn, we begin to learn to pray for what we need, we find that mysteriously, God will curb my greed by praying for what I need. God is going to work through my prayer to help me not be so greedy and so ravenous that all I think about is filling my stomach more and more, or filling my house with more and more, or filling my bank with more and more. Continuing in Exodus verse 4, this is God's response to the grumbling. He said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. I'm going to give you so much bread bread, the Lord said. It's going to be like it's a shower of bread coming down. And this is exactly what happens. Only the next day from this announcement of God's, the people come out in the morning and they find that the dew, uh, which is like rain, has kind of turned into this white, kind of sweet, semi-sweet 
bread-like material. They don't know what it is, so in Hebrew, they just call it mana, which means, what is it? And they begin to eat until they're full. God says, I'm going to rain bread down from you. Don't you think that I can provide enough for the day? I'm going to make it just pour over you. And the people shall go out, but look at God, how he's curbing the greed, and they shall gather a day's portion every day. Make sure the people understand not to take more than they need, just take enough for the day. I want them to learn to trust that I'll rain the bread down every day. Uh, and then he goes on to say, except for Friday. On Friday, we'll have them take twice as much. And on Saturday is a day off of Sabbath, and they won't gather food. But I am going to test them to see whether they'll walk in my law or not. I am going to see whether they will find contentment in me giving them enough for the day, or whether they will give in to greed. Or whether they might give in to believing that they can do it on their own. You see, the second thing that God does when we learn to pray instead of grumble as wealthy Western American Christians, and we still ask him, God, I know I think I have what I need for tomorrow. My kitchen is full of food. My fridge has lots of good stuff in it. And my bank account is full. I know I've got what I think I need for tomorrow, but God, I'm still asking you to give me my daily bread for tomorrow. When we embrace that, we find that God starts to erode our self-sufficiency. You see, the problems that the children of Israel made with the manna were twofold. As I've explained, some hoarded more than they needed for the day. And what they found in the morning was that the extra food they had collected, because they were greedy and they didn't trust God, well, that food had spoiled and there was worms in it. There's your pot of meat. And for those who didn't trust God, they trusted their own ability to work. They went out on Saturday and they said, well, you know, this manna, whatever it is, it's showing up every day. And so I'll just go and get what I need on Saturday. And they took the work into their own hands and they trusted their own sufficiency instead of God's sufficiency. Later, a wise person named Agur will pray this prayer that Solomon collected and included in the book of Proverbs. Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? You see, now I am self-sufficient. I have wealth. I have food in the cabinets for tomorrow. Who is the Lord? I don't need to pray for my daily bread. Maybe, maybe I'll just pray that God takes care of retirement. Maybe I'll just pray about, you know, illnesses, or I'll pray out of pity for those who don't have bread today. But I don't need to pray for my daily bread. I think I've got enough. This is exactly what Agur said might happen if we grow too rich. And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Remember that Jesus' prayer begins, our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Help me to love your name above all else. Let your name be the passion of my life. Let your glory be the reason I wake up every day. And most of us sitting here in church, myself included, say, that is so far above me. I don't wake up every day just longing for God's glory. I wake up longing to fill my stomach. But it's the anticipation that God would grow us in this spiritual way, hoping that he will someday make me love him more than myself, that makes me get up in the morning and pray, give me today my daily bread. And this is the hope of the bread prayer. The hope of the prayer is many, many hopes, and I can only give you a couple very quickly this morning. 
but they include at least these. That when we learn to pray, even though we have enough, we think, give us today our daily bread, we build with God a continuing and conscious dependence on Him. It forces us to confront each morning. I could lose this all by the end of the day. It's possible a fire could come. It's possible that, you know, one of those great um, uh, break-ins to the database of everybody's social security numbers could wipe out my wealth. It's possible that the people I love could be taken from me. It's possible my health could be gone. I need to remember that today, no matter what I think I have saved for myself, it's still God who provided it. And I still need to ask him to allow me to have it today. I build a, a conscious dependence on God and also a history of answered prayers. I used to sit down with our youth group when I was a youth minister here and we would read this little prayer about give us today our daily bread and when Jesus says don't be anxious for all these things and seek first the kingdom of God and we would talk about why would you pray thanksgiving for something like hot water or a roof over your head or a closet full of clothes. Why thank God every day for those things that mostly it seems like your parents have bought for you or you earn with your own money? And the reason is, when you ask God day in and day out to provide for me, and you put it in your little prayer book and you write down, today I asked God to give me enough to eat. And at the end of the day or the next morning, you look at your prayer book and you say, now what has he answered in my life? You will look and you will say, yesterday, he answered the prayer. He gave me food to eat. He gave me a roof over my head. He gave me clothes to wear. He was so faithful to me. 365 days last year. I'm 33 years old. And I can't do the math off the top of my head like Donovan could. But that's a whole lot of days of God giving me enough to eat every single day. And someday, I'm going to reach a prayer that I don't know if God will answer. I'm going to be looking into the face of my parents' illness my wife or I are going to lose our job. We're going to have problems with a child. Something is going to happen. And in my prayer life, it's going to be weak. And I'm going to be saying, God, I don't know if I can trust you with this. And he's going to ask me, did you pray for your bread every day? And did I give you what you needed? Did I provide? God wants to awaken in us a thanksgiving for today and trust for tomorrow. Thanksgiving for today and a trust for tomorrow. And to awaken in us an awareness of the needs of others, not just a pity for them, but a robust Christian response to the problems of justice in the world. The, re the problems that we have one out of four young people in Northwest Arkansas who have nutritional deficiencies. He wants to waken in us the passion to respond and motivate me to give because of the gratitude I have for what he's given me. Nothing inspires generosity like gratitude. Pity can't come close. Pity gives and then that thirst is quenched. Gratitude gives and is hungry for more giving. When God says in the very next verse through the words of Jesus that we need to learn to forgive others, where does that motivation come from? It comes only from one place, what God has given me. He's provided every day. And this leads us into a, a practical application for our church. I want to invite Jim Stevens to come up here and join me. Now, Jim, as many of you know, has been one of several leaders of Community Care Day over a number of years. Jim, welcome. Thanks for trusting me with this and taking the time. Well, I'm excited to be here. I didn't get the memo about beards, but um, I probably wouldn't have grown one anyway. Next November, you and me. Grow okay. Up. Okay. So just two simple questions and then let you go where you want with them. But the first one is to tell us a little bit about 
How did the hearts of the church get motivated to respond to the nutritional problem in Northwest Arkansas through community care day? Well, I think uh, Marilyn and Dana and their families kind of led us into this. I, I joined it with Donna, my wife, uh, much later. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that uh, they were motivated by what they saw in the school systems. Um, we talk about one in four children uh, not meeting their nutritional needs. Also, it's kind of important to realize that one in seven of our seniors do not meet wow. their nutritional needs on a daily basis. And just to give you a little bit of perspective, I, w I was blessed to um, have the opportunity while I was on the ground in Vietnam to see what real poverty was like. Mm. Uh, many of you have gone on mission trips and you have seen poverty. Um, you know, Jay goes to Africa and when we talk about poverty in Africa, we're talking about famine. We're talking about 30%, up to 30% of the population that are malnourished. Big problem, okay? Um, the, the problem is a little bit less when you think about some place like Haiti. Uh, Haiti is what's called a uh, humanitarian emergency. Uh, they are impoverished. They've been impoverished by storms and all kinds of uh, disasters that have happened there. Um, and so that is more or less temporary. We hope that that will be something that's renewed. Here in America, we're what, what's known as a food secure country. Less than 5% of our population is malnourished. So why do we say one in four? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, the reason is, is that when I was in Vietnam, uh, the, uh, the annual average per capita income was $500. So a family of four had $2,000 to support themselves for a year. Um, I don't know what that number is today, but quite frankly, it hasn't changed very much in Vietnam. In, in America, we have kind of established a, a support network that keeps families at about $28,000 a year, which is called the 100% poverty line. And that's kind of the gold standard. That's, you know, that's not a great life, but that's a life where you can exist, okay? Now here's where the one in four comes in. If you're living at the 100% poverty level, uh, you are missing a meal every now and then, okay? You're not guaranteed. You don't know that you're going to have a meal. And we worked with the Bentonville School District because they were telling us that kids were not able to achieve what they needed to achieve in school because they were hungry, okay? And so, you know, um, if, if we took our monies that we're doing with Community Care Day and sent it to Africa to solve world hunger, um, it probably wouldn't accomplish very much. But right here in Northwest Arkansas, the work that we're doing plus the work that others are doing with backpacks, sending food home with the kids, there's just a lot of support network in Northwest Arkansas to help these kids be able to achieve in school and hopefully break that cycle of poverty that grips their family because we know that poverty is generation after generation. So that's kind of, um, that's kind of what the, the nutritional part of this thing is. Um, we, we, are, we are a very blessed people. Um, we're sitting here in a position of, press, uh, of um, privilege um, 
and we need to understand poverty. You know, what are we praying for when we pray for our daily bread, you know? Mark 9:41 tells us that if we give a cup of water to someone in Jesus' name, that there will be a blessing. And that blessing is kind of threefold from my point of view. First of all, the person that receives the cup of water is blessed. The person that gives the cup of water is blessed. And finally, God's church is blessed because the community sees our hearts in action. And his name is blessed as people get to see uh, yeah. God's people. In, in 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, Paul says it kind of like this. He talks to the Thessalonians about their lives have been, the example that they've put in their community has evangelized that community. There's little work for him to do when he arrives because their example has already evangelized that community. Mm, beautiful. With all of those problems in the world and even right here, it seems like we're going to need a lot of Christians to grow spiritually uh, in order to help meet those needs. What's the biggest spiritual goal of Community Care Day? Well, um, I, I, I suspect that it varies um, a little bit for everyone. Um, uh, the greatest blessing that I personally have received has been um, the associations that, uh, and the relationships that have emerged over time. Um, I have been privileged to work with Walmart and many of the companies here and the food bank and, and to see that Northwest Arkansas has a heart for the poor, okay? Um, the, I, I, get, I get to talk and I encourage every one of you that comes to Community Care Day to talk to our visitors, our guests, because those moments that, that we get to talk to them gives us some idea of what our walk could be except for the grace of God. It's just, it's just a real fine line between uh, what happens. I go into the nursing homes every day. I have 83 of them in nine counties. Mm -hmm. And I come home every day elated about how lucky I am. I've had quadruple bypass, six stents, and five eye surgeries. And I, folks, I am telling you, I am the luckiest man alive compared to those people whose lives have forever been altered and live in those nursing homes. And we are one event away from that happening to each and every one of mm -hmm. us. So. Uh, open your heart to the impoverished. It's going to change your life. It's going to change your worldview for, forever and ever. Um, if you want to participate in Community Care Day this year. Two, two ways to do that. Um, one way, they, they call me Thomas. The shepherds call me Thomas. I deserve that. Okay, I have, I have earned that privilege over the years. Uh, we're still $6,000 short, so uh, I'm, I have great confidence that that money will roll in. I don't know why I say I have great confidence, because I sweat the ugly sweats every year um, <laughs> over, over this. But, you know, I know that it'll be there. So that's one way to participate. Tonight, we have Boxing Night. If you haven't been to Boxing Night, it is the greatest thing you've ever been to in your life. You're going to see two-year-olds and 80-plus-year-olds working together to help uh, transform the activity center from nothing to what Community Care Day is every year. Um, the next opportunity you have to serve big time is on Community Care Day itself. Um, now, we don't have a lot of sign-up lists and all this kind of stuff. Just, just come to the event. There are 
Trust me, there are people that have been doing this for 20 years, 25 years. They know exactly what they're doing and they will lead you through this process and you, you'll have uh, plenty of opportunity to participate. And that goes for both uh, Boxing Night and for uh, Community Care Day. So those are the two best ways. Give of your money, give of your time. Uh, go home this afternoon and read uh, 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, uh, verses 17 and 18. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do the Prince Jim uh, paraphrased version of that for you. Okay. Don't, don't be arrogant and trust your wealth. Put your hope in God. Grow rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. Thank you so much. I uh, hope that you can all find a way to participate in Community Care Day this year. Would you thank Jim for sharing with us uh, just these few moments of time? Thank you. As we um, conclude this morning, we want to offer you an invitation and a chance to respond spiritually if God has led you to do so. There's no greater way than responding directly to Jesus himself, who taught us this prayer, but who also said this about himself. Jesus once replied, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And you can understand now because of what we've discussed, Jesus is not merely saying that stomachs will be filled, but that hearts and souls will be filled as we come to know Jesus. He even said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Talking about the manna from the Old Testament, Jesus identifies himself with that blessing. I am the response from God for the prayers that you pray about the things that you need. There is no prayer that I know in Scripture than the prayer that God would give us our daily bread that is more spiritual because it leads to Jesus, so completely practical because it deals with our real needs, so awesomely just because it points us towards us and our, uh, us and our bread, and so profoundly prophetic for a nation that experiences wealth and abundance. And so we pray that your hearts are opened by the prayer uh, as ours are. Let's stand together this morning, and if you want to respond to the front, to our shepherds, or in the back for them to pray with you, you can do so as we sing this song of invitation. <laughs>